How many of you did any shopping this weekend? Anybody? A few? If our church is keeping the stores alive, they are in trouble, okay? That's what I found out this morning, all right? Anybody actually go in a store this weekend? Was it online? Okay, a few of you actually went to the store. The stores did not exist for me the last few days. All of my shopping was online, so that's okay. Now, let me ask you this one more question. How many of you have somebody for this Christmas season, you've got to buy a gift, and you have no idea what you're going to buy for that person? Yeah. I think that may be the universal thing, right? We've all got somebody in our lives, and it's somebody we care about, we love, and it's just a person who they've got what they need, they've got a lot of stuff they want, and we have no idea what in the world we could add to that collection of items that they have in their lives. So we've got to go out, and we're going to spend the next couple weeks in this holiday season thinking about what in the world am I going to buy for this person, and eventually we're just going to get something, right? We're just going to have to settle because we don't know what to get. And we know full well when we purchase that item that by, say, Valentine's Day, it's going to be in the top of a closet or under a bed or in a drawer or possibly even in the landfill. And we go ahead and buy it anyway because we just don't know what else to get. I mean, that's a struggle, and we spend a lot of time and money during this season thinking about buying gifts, and a lot of them are going to be forgotten. Over the next few weeks, and even as we go into Christmas Eve, so for five sermons, I want us to think a little bit about the gifts that really do matter. The gifts that sometimes this season we forget about just how important they are because they're not gifts that we can put in a bag and put under a tree or wrap up in a box. They're really more important than that, but yet I think we sometimes find them hard to give. But they're gifts that we have received from Jesus. So we begin a series today that I'm calling Gifted because God has really gifted us with some great things that I think are important for us and can really change lives. And the first of those is meaning. Or maybe we might want to call it purpose, a meaning for our lives. Because when we look out in our world today, a world in which a culture in which God has been sort of removed, people are still searching for meaning, but, but there's none there. Because if we take God out of the equation, then our whole world, our, really our universe, is just everything that happens is based on The laws of physics, that's what dictates what happens. And it all seems a bit random. And there's no way to say, okay, here is the purpose for our existence. Here's why we're here. Here's what we're supposed to accomplish. Because it's all gone. And yet, we look around and we see people still searching, longing for meaning in this life to to figure out why we are here today. And so they, they go in lots of different directions. If you went to one of the big bookstores, you would know that if you go to this section that's called religion, which is pretty generic, there's a lot there. It is a big section. Some of it's Christian, some of it's biblical, some of it comes from lots of other things, philosophies and other religions, where people are buying all kinds of books, trying to find some way to fill their lives with meaning, and yet they're struggling because they can't seem to find it. And yet they'll, they'll pull from lots of different sources, lots of different religions and, and th- ways of thinking out there, thinking that if I can just figure that out for me, okay, then my life will have meaning. 
Now, for lots of people, what that means is I found my meaning, but I'm not going to impose it on you, right? You, you find your own way of going through this because I can't tell you what you should be thinking. And so people were sort of like pool balls knocking up against one another. We're not working together. We're not thinking in the same direction. We all have our own little way of thinking through what life should be about and the way that it should work and how we find purpose. So what does the Bible say about any of that? What does the Bible say about our meaning? What does God want us to know about the meaning for this existence? That's what I want us to think about for the next few weeks because I think we see some clear teaching in Scripture about the meaning of life, about the purpose for our existence. And to get at that today, I'd like to turn to really what's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. We find it in John 17. In John 17, it concludes this big section of Scripture about this last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. actually preached a few weeks ago on the very beginning of this, and today we come to the end of it. The last thing that Jesus does, and it's just before he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and prepare for his execution, his burial, and then eventually the resurrection, the last thing he does is pray for his disciples. Now, he prays for the disciples that are right in front of him at the beginning of this chapter, those people that are gathered around him. Jesus has this great prayer because they're going to face some persecution because they are disciples of Jesus. Some of them are going to face death because they are disciples of Jesus Christ. And they're going to go out and they're going to preach this message and people are going to hear who Jesus is. And because they were so passionate about sharing that message, some of them were going to be killed. And after Jesus prays for those disciples sitting there, Jesus prayed for you. And he prayed for me. Because it says in this passage, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I pray for those who will believe because of the testimony of these in front of me. And that's how we know, right? These people went out and they began to preach, and the message of Jesus was handed down to generations of Christians, first of all, in an oral tradition, as they told the stories and tell, told what Jesus had said and what he had done and these healings and his death and his resurrection. And then it was put down on paper in the form of what we have today as the Bible, this New Testament that we have. The, the message of people like Matthew, who was sitting there in front of Jesus, and John, as we'll read today, who was sitting there in front of Jesus. We believe because of their testimony. So Jesus prayed for us. And if Jesus prayed for you, don't you want to know what he prayed about? Well, this is it. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Jesus is speaking. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, these people out here that he's talking to. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. What did he pray? That all of them may be one that would be united, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, here's the purpose, the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, Jesus prays for two really big things for us in just these two verses. And he's going to go a little further, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in these two verses, he prays, first of all, for us to be unified, for his followers 
the ones that would believe because of the testimony of those sitting in front of him, that we would be unified, that we would be one, that we would be together. And he, he compares it to the unity that's found in God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together in continual, eternal unity. This kind of community that goes beyond what we can imagine. He says, I want them to be unified in purpose, in meaning, in love, in all the things that bring us together, you and me, Father. That seems amazing to me, that we should have the same kind of unity that Jesus has with his Father. Now, the problem with that is, I think most of us, if we look around at what the church looks like today, not just our church, but the church It's hard to say, man, I see Jesus' prayer fulfilled in the church of the 21st century. Most of us would say we failed pretty miserably to fulfill this prayer. Because we have found amazing creativity in dividing ourselves up as Christians. We found amazing ways for us to say, I can't have anything to do with those Christians over there because of the label on that building. I can't have anything to do with these Christians over here because they believe this thing that I don't believe. And so instead of thinking about the fact that we all have faith in Jesus Christ and we have been called to do the same thing, what we've done is identify all the things that are different between us and because of that we've divided ourselves into hundreds of groups. It's hard to say that's a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. It seems like just the opposite. But Jesus had a reason for praying that. It wasn't unity for the sake of unity. It wasn't, hey, let's get along so we can have uh, some cooperation. Let's get along so we can enjoy being together. Let's get along so we can build a nice building. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It was all about mission. It was unity for the sake of mission. Jesus seemed to believe that if we wanted to share the message that he had come to preach... If we wanted to share what he said, this message of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life, that people would be more likely to believe it if we could actually get along with one another. What an amazing message that is. That if Christians, again, not just us, not just the people in the room right now, but the church could work together, more people would be brought to Jesus and would understand that God had sent him. You know, once in a while, we get a little glimpse of what that could look like. Last Sunday night, Christians from all over Taylorville, lots of different churches, came together for a Thanksgiving service. And it was a great service, and I thought the music was excellent, and we had a great message. But you know what? That, that really didn't matter near as much as the fact that these Christians came together and acknowledged our faith in the same Jesus Christ. It was a witness to the community, a small one, but a witness nonetheless that we are together in this. Now, we need a lot more than just one service or some services leading up to Easter. We need to act in the name of Jesus as believers together as a witness of who Jesus is. Now, 
Jesus took that further in this prayer. Verse 22. Listen to this. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's a couple of really striking things in those two verses. First of all, he begins by saying, I have given them the glory you gave me. Now, how many of you in the room today feel like the glory of God is present in you at this moment? I think a lot of us would say, I'm not so sure. I don't know that I've seen the glory of God in me. I don't know that I've seen the glory of God in in other Christians even. I'm not so sure about that. And I think it's because sometimes we, we have a limited view of the glory of God. There's those moments when people have seen the glory of God, right? I mean, Moses hides in this rock and he sees, he doesn't see God, he just sort of sees the glory of God. And it's overwhelming. Isaiah is in the temple and he sees just the hem of God's robe and just that fills the whole temple, and it's a glorious occasion. We have the transfiguration in the New Testament where where three of the apostles see the glory of God in Jesus, and it's an amazing experience. But it's not just that. Because I'm not sure that anybody could ever look at me and say, man, I look at James, and he is so amazingly holy that I just can't exist after I've seen him, all right? I don't know many people that that's happened to. You can ask Leanne. Maybe she's, I I don't think so, though. I think we also see the glory of God as the kingdom of God is ushered in. And how is Jesus crowned king of this kingdom? Is it in a palace on a throne? Or maybe in the Holy of Holies in the temple with the Ark of the Covenant. It didn't look like that, did it? It was a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp by Roman soldiers. And when Jesus is lifted up as the king, and the kingdom of God is coming at that moment, He's not lifted up on a horse or a throne carried by his guards or on a carpet. He's lifted up on a cross. You know, I think the glory of God was just as present in those moments as when Jesus was on the mountain. And if we've received the glory of God in any real way, I think it's that. In that suffering and serving Jesus. And so when people see the glory of God in us, it's when we're willing to serve like Jesus served and gather around people who are hurting like Jesus did. And then they might see the glory of God in you and in me. And John says we have the same kind of love that Jesus did. That it's sort of reflected off of him and onto us. 
And the love that we share is really the love of God seen through us. It sort of reflects the mission that that we believe we've been called to as a church to love God and love others. You see, this God who loved us in such amazing ways to send His Son to die for us, to offer us forgiveness and eternal life, it's easy to love Him, but we've been called to reflect that love of God to other people, to love God and to love others. Some of them who are broken and hurting and sometimes difficult to love, we are called to love them the same way Jesus loved me, and he loved you. As imperfect as we sometimes are, as broken, as difficult to love as we sometimes are. The same kind of love. Jesus brings us all together, verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus present in us. We are his body, physically expressing the love of God for the people around us. And it points to to what I want us to take away from this passage, and it's this. Our mission gives us meaning. If we want to talk about meaning in this life, if we want to talk about why do we exist, it's all about the mission that's been put in front of us to share the message of Jesus, to reflect the love of God, the glory of God, what's been given us in Jesus to the people around us. The mission that we've been given gives us meaning today. So what does that look like? As we think about living that out in our daily lives, okay, how am I reflecting God's glory? How am I reflecting the love that's been shown to me through Jesus to the people around me? I mean, it can be in things as every day as parenting or, or the love that we have for a spouse or caring for a parent. I mean, we want to bring that person to faith in Jesus Christ to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus because that's the most important thing. We want to express the love of God to them so that they know that God sent his son Jesus. That's what Jesus prays for. Our mission gives all of that meaning. As we go to work, maybe you don't work in a job where you can go in on Monday morning and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. But hopefully we can take the time to invest in the lives of the people around us. Maybe some of us don't even know what to say. I mean, when it comes to, okay, I'm going to talk about Jesus, it's like, I, I don't know how to answer the questions. I don't know how to bring it up. I don't know what to say. Well, again, hopefully we can invest in the lives of people so that even we could invite them to be here with us. We gather around this table every week. And Jesus says when we do, we proclaim his death until he comes. And we better be about that. Through our gathering, proclaiming what he has done until he returns. Our mission gives us meaning. You know, we've been given a great gift. We've been given this gift of forgiveness and eternal life. We've been given this gift that changes both this life and the next, that gives us purpose. And the question is, are we going to say, you know what? I think I'm just going to keep that to myself. Now, I don't think many of us would say that, but that's the way a lot of us act. 
I'm not really going to talk about it. Don't know what to say, so I'm just not going to say anything. And by doing that, we keep this message. We keep the love of Christ, the glory of God, to ourselves. And so the question is, for us as individuals and us as a church and us as part of the church, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep sort of other Christians at arm's length because they believe some stuff that, hey, that's not what I think? Or are we going to work together and say, you know what? We have been given something to do. Now let's do it. I've been given something to do. Let's do it. I've been given this mission. Let's don't live, let's don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Let's share the great gift that's been given to us. Meaning, purpose, a reason for this existence. Because God has given it to us. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful you've made life meaningful. That you've shared your glory with us. That you've shared your love with us. That we can reflect even, even a small part of that. That can help someone else. God, help us to take this mission seriously. To do something with it. So that other people would know just how powerful what you've given us really is. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today you're here and you know it's time for you to change some things. Maybe you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and the response of that faith is to be immersed, to be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Or maybe you've already done all that and you want to be a member of this church. If you made either one of those decisions, we want you to let us know about that. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.